Howdy, everyone. My name is Liana Ahmed. I am here with my co-host, Stephen Chinder. We are Star Trek Culture, part of CultureSlate.com. And you can follow Culture Slate on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. We also have a lovely Patreon uh, for Culture Slate. You can catch up on our latest projects and look at some behind-the-scenes footage and other fun things if you subscribe to our Patreon account. Um, Stephen, do you have any fun Star Trek news? I have some fun little things to say, if you don't mind me going first. Uh, yeah, I do have some news, but uh-huh. we'll start with what you have. Yeah. Cool. Okay, so mine is just around the holiday seasons, number one. It's the first night of Hanukkah, so happy Hanukkah to my friends and family and everyone else out there who is celebrates. Then um, related to that, it is uh, Christmas and a, a lot of other holidays as well. There's some fun gifts that are related to Star Trek. Right now, um, a site called Twink.com, they have a lot of housewares that are Star Trek themed. You can get the TNG style uh, displays on plates and mugs and all kinds of other fun stuff. So uh, if you're interested in that or if you have a loved one that's interested, please uh, check them out. While supplies last, I know some things are already starting to sell out. Once they got the word out, their site was inundated. But that's all <laughs> I've got. What do you have, Stephen? Yeah, so, uh, I mean, on the subject of holidays, I just want to say it's funny how, like, we're getting all this Star Trek on these, like, different holidays. It's <laughs> kind of funny. And, like, Star Trek is a gift that keeps on giving, I guess. Literally. <laughs> um, but anyway, uh, so the news that I had was um, last Saturday, uh, GalaxyCon had this thing where it was basically a Q&A with William Shatner and Katie Mulgrew, uh, you know, Kirk and Janeway. And it was an interesting conversation. Um, I jotted down, like, some of the highlights of it that I picked out. Um uh, yeah. Mulgrew, I almost said Janeway because, like, she is Janeway. Right. <laughs> um, she, like, when talking about, like, the Star Trek fan base, she said that she thinks that, like, the Star Trek fan base might be, like, smarter than other fan bases because, like, the last, and that makes it more interesting when they ask what is good, what is quality. Mm-hmm. And I thought that was very nice of her to say, but then I think about the Star Trek bleep posting group and how like some <laughs> people are not that like, you know, um, but, um, I like uh, how you self bleeps yourself. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, but anyway, um, yeah. And Shatner recounted like the early days when he was like, cast um in the show after the first pilot the cage and how they were told to recast everybody um of course we know that they kept leonard nimoy which was a really good choice i can't imagine star trek without leonard nimoy right um and apparently at the time shatner uh like gave them some pointers like saying that he felt that the show lacked a little humor and was a little too ponderous. Uh, so he suggested like something like maybe a bit more humor. And I feel like Star Trek does a really good job like having the thought provoking stuff and the humor when needed yeah. in general. I, I agree. I mean, it's, um, it, it is a wonderfully cerebral show. I mean, it inspired my career. It inspired a bunch of other people's careers that I know of for sure. 
But it also gave us our sense of humor and our nerdy sense of humor, our love of puns and everything else. So um, for sure, it's, it's, it's definitely shaped my life from the early, like I said, I don't know life without Star Trek. My parents were the Trek, uh, Trekkies from the TOS era, and I watched reruns of TOS. Was very skeptical of this thing called, you know, TNG. We had other names for TNG, you know, so, <laughs> um, other acronyms for it. But then I fell in love with that show too. So, um. yeah, and um, they they were also asked this interesting question, which is like, what are the qualities that a leader needs? Um, so the qualities of leadership that Mulgrew mentioned were honesty, empathy, emotional intelligence. Wit, as in like being fast on your feet. Um, I know I'm moving my hands instead because I can't put my feet up, but you know, uh, kind of irre- being kind of irreverent um, in your passion for a particular science. So I guess if you're interested in like certain sciences, like just like be really into it if you want. Uh, and she thinks that Janeway loved the moment of like being lost in the Delta Quadrant because it was like an opportunity to like explore and all like make all these discoveries and whatnot. Um, and Shatner, um, in his answer, so that he thinks the leaders need to be Shakespearean in quality, intelligent. Um, but he also acknowledges that like some leaders frequently lie. And every leader, including like, you know, the really bad ones, like the fascists have passion. And, um, with that, to that point, he said that, uh, like in those cases, stupidity becomes a quality of being a leader sometimes. <laughs> so like, hopefully like we can follow like good leaders. Um, you know, um, and- I, it's funny you're talking about those particular qualities in a leader. There's a, another YouTube channel that I follow for, uh, just tips on how to navigate conversations and, and things like that. Charisma on command. And I, you know, give them a shout out because I've been watching them for a couple of years now, but they, they actually talk about that, like just the different kinds of leaders, um, and the qualities that they have, even the, the good and bad ones that we have in our political spectrum today. Hang on just a second. All right. Okay. So yeah, so I was interrupted my my dogs, but um, you had something funny to say about that. Just now, if you want to say, yeah. So Shatner um, was also kind of interrupted in the Q and A. Uh, he has like these two really big Dobermans, and like after they were barking, he was like, "They want to be actors," and I told them they're dogs. <laughs> um. <laughs> so what else happened during? the uh the galaxy con interviews or some other humorous stuff that you were talking about yeah so uh, they're also asked about their favorite holiday dessert or treat uh kate uh said that she loves a nice piece of dark chocolate with salt sprinkled on it so what was shatner's answer to the question about favorite dessert because he's jewish if i recall um well he he actually he did this weird actor monologue thing, which I guess he like just does when he's not like in a movie or show. Uh, but he he like was talking about how like he loves picking out a fresh apple or like a carrot out of the dirt, like fresh and crisp and pure. Like he he did like this Shakespearean sounding monologue, and it's just it, it's just so good seeing him like 
like be so like Shakespearean about it, like more so than he needs to be. Um, Oh, also like, okay. So at the very end when they're like uh, signing off uh, and saying like what they're up to and where you can find them, uh, Shatner said, look for good entertainment. You'll find me there. (laughs) Nice. (laughs) Yeah. So, so that was a fun thing to watch and they did get like kind of heady talking about like, uh, the nation and how people need to like actually talk and listen and stuff like that. But it, it was a really great conversation to watch. Oh, good. Yeah. I'm, I'm bummed I missed it, but I was uh, doing my other thing that I like to do, which is the cosplay thing. We were um, doing our last miracle babies network diaper drive um, here uh, where I live. And it's a monthly uh, giveaway of diapers to, we did about 500 families in an hour and a half. And I was uh, dressed as Ms. Marvel doing that one. So, I really enjoy that kind of thing. It's just one of the funner parts of uh, doing the cosplay thing. I've also done it as Master Yoda. So. Nice. <laughs> so, uh, but this one is the last one for the year, and uh, it was it was nice to see some of the families coming through uh, the, the drive through. It was all contactless, obviously, you know, um, right with the lockdown and COVID situation. Actually, the lockdown started right after that <laughs> event itself, so the official like. Um, sanctioned one if you will but uh anyway i'm hoping everyone else is is healthy and happy at least as much as 2020 is allowing them to be for uh, the remainder of this year and at least for the moment and you know we'll, we'll get through this and that's part of why we like star trek right it's that hopeful um vision of the future right the what we think of yeah as what man and humanity is capable of so i think i you know why do we escape to this universe that's why i do it anyway what about you is do you find any hope within Star Trek for yourself, or? Um, I, I mean, I, f- I feel like it shows like the best of what people can be, even in dire situations. Um, and I mean, even in this episode, we see like the, like the dark and light side of certain characters. So right. yeah, so this is uh, Terra Firma Part One, right? Um, and. I gotta say, what an episode. This might be my favorite of the season so far. Yep, you know, we start off with this uh, person being 3D rendered in front of us, and, you know, you've got David Cronenberg, who's one of those amazing directors that we all love so much, as uh, Kovic talking to Dr. Pulber, and he knows exactly what's wrong with, with Philippa Giorgio, and he basically tells Pulber, you should just come to me with the data. I would have told you this a while back. She's not just a woman out of place. She's also not, not out of time. She's also out of place. And the mirror universe that we think she comes from and prime universe where we're in has been drifting apart, even further apart over 900 years. There's only one other person that's done exactly what she's done. And that is Lieutenant Commander Yor, who came over 900 years plus into the future or something because of a temporal incursion due to a Romulan ship. And that ties this universe back to the Kelvin timeline, the, you know. Yeah, when, like... all about it, Kelvin timeline. <laughs> yeah, when there's, like, that split and, like... Uh, they do, like, a pretty good job of, like, mentioning all mm-hmm. that stuff, but y- you know that there will still be 
people uh, not paying attention who will be like, this show is not prime, it's <laughs> Kelvin or whatever. There, yeah, we talked about this last week. Like Some people actually think that what we're watching, Discovery, is Kelvin. And I'm like, no, 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 this is prime. Yeah. We're always going to be in prime first and then... And, and it's it's also funny because later in the episode, Giorgio says, where I come from, we saw ourselves as prime and you were the mirror. Right. So it's kind of like <laughs> mixing yeah. up the message in a way. But yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's it's uh, it's always the, the inverse of what you think from your enemy's point of view, right? Hello. It's kind of odd. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so. But they, they interesting thing about, or the sad part about Lieutenant Commander Yor during the Temporal Wars was that the doctors in the future actually couldn't even save him, and they euthanized him at his own wish and their wish. Uh, they couldn't send him back. They couldn't. They didn't have the right cure for him. And this is what I thought was also interesting about this ship, and something that we take for granted as the audience, at least I did, was that. Without the help of the, you know, previously on, you know, prequel like snippets, I forgot about the, the intelligence that was merged with the USS Discovery, right? So there's, so Dr. Colbert, everybody else on the ship is like, oh yeah, hey, uh, you know, computer. And computer means something bigger now, right? It's sphere plus computer. Uh, that, that's, that's funny because I didn't pay attention to the recap. I generally don't because I just <laughs> want to see the new stuff. But when, the computer said, I found a solution or whatever it says. I was like, oh, yeah, that merge happened. And that's what reminded me. <laughs> right. And so the reason we bring this up is because Dr. Colbert's very specifically when Kovic says there is no answer. She's just going to die. Dr. Colbert's like, mm -hmm, let's ask our super mega better than yours intelligence, intelligent computer. <laughs> right. And of course, um, Sphere finds an answer. And it's on a planet in the Gamma Quadrant, and it's Danis 5, I believe is the name of the planet. We don't know what they're going to find there until we get there, of course. But um, we also know that uh, Giorgio isn't exactly having an easy time of it, and she's actually kind of disintegrating. Which still reminds me of the Stargate episode when, like, another uh, uh, Captain Samantha Carter comes. I think she's a captain by then, I don't know, remember her rank anymore. But Samantha Carter comes in from a mirror universe, and she's like... Um, phasing in and out because there's two of them in the same uh, timeline. It's like a different time theory or whatever, but um, right. it, it totally was the same to me. I was like reliving a Stargate episode too a little bit. Um, what did you think of like her scenes within the the mess hall? Um, so like her attitude is understandable given who she is and what she's going through. Um, I feel like I think earlier in this podcast like in some other episode we discussed i mentioned like it'd be fun to see like a food fight in star trek and we kind of get that here when georgia like throws food on tilly although it wasn't that funny it was more upsetting because like it's tilly and like her uniform is dirty now and it's soup <laughs> yeah it's... i have this whole thing about the soup which we'll get into in a second but the that i thought was it was like i said it's very much in character and um, Tilly was trying to be a first officer. She's I I like was I was impressed with what she was trying to be in that scene with Giorgio. She was like, "Hey, we'll 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 work with you. We have some something." And then I think it's um, uh, Burnham that comes in and says, "No, we've got we've potentially got some other news." And 
So then they find out that there is a way to save her, potentially, like a 5% chance to save her versus a 0% chance that they do nothing. And I liked, this is where Saru is still learning to be a leader. Tilly's got some natural knack at it, and Admiral Vance is basically like an old pro at it. And I find it interesting that the conversation that you watched over the weekend was about leadership, because... A lot of what oh, yeah. <laughs> the groups are talking about is also about leadership. And it's because of our current vacuum of leadership just in in the real world and, and what have you, you know, whether you like it, lump it or love it, you know, we just have a, I don't know, a dearth of good leaders on both sides of the party, if you ask me. But it's uh, it's something to like, we are in such desperate need of that. These conversations that we see even in our make-believe worlds. Um, really impress us and that's why i i keep coming back to that it's like why am i focused on this so much like why am i focused on why you know banking on saru being such a good leader why do i want tilly to be you know why am i looking at admiral vance as like you know at first as the enemy and now i'm like maybe i do like him you know and it's because in the real world we're we're having these conversations about leadership in general because we've had such terrific examples of bad leadership <laughs> so um did you did you like the call that Admiral Vance made? I mean, yeah, it made for a great episode, but in general, like if you were in his position? Um I did like it, and I mean, like you said, like without it, like the episode wouldn't be what it is. Um so I didn't really have an issue with it. Oh, um yeah. so I guess I'm kind of warming up to Admiral Vance, but now I'm wondering whether like they came up with the name Admiral Vance just because it sounds like Advance, um, just <laughs> elongated. Um, I didn't think about that until just now, and now I can't let that thought go. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I I was okay. I like Odin Fair, and I could just stare at him for hours. But that's a whole other thing. The the <laughs> but I liked Admiral Vance, and I liked him even more because he um, is giving the guidance that he. Doesn't have to give Saru, but he is, you know, he recognizes Saru needs help. And I think this is a great example of what a leader does, and that's build their bench and tell, he's like, hey, look, I made this decision. He he, he made the decision, but then he um, explained it to Saru, which in the military, you don't have to explain yourself. But he said, hey, look, I said this, this is why. Um, and he's like, I get, you know, and he appreciated that Saru was trying to follow the orders he previously given, but. Um, his explanation of like, look, saving this one person, it does something for the crew morale and, you know, whether it works or not, they will have seen the effort and you're not going to like who you become if you didn't do this. And I just loved the, the advice, I'm completely butchering the, the quote, but um, what he told him was, was brilliant. I thought for, from a one leader to, you know, the next one down in the chain of command, I thought that was well said. That, that's yeah. why I brought it up. Yeah, I mean, I mean, it's nice when they explain things to each other because, you know, I know it's like, you know, in a military personnel, it's not always like required, but it's nice when it happens. Um, like, I, I think I've mentioned this before, how in The Last Jedi, it would have been nice if um, Admiral Holdo had just explained or yeah. if Poe Dameron had just explained, like yeah. just talked to each other. Yeah. Um. So, but, yeah, yeah. I, I guess with situations like that, I'm forever going to think of that whole storyline. But, yeah. Yeah. It's like, like, this was refreshing. Mean, like, if this would have, whatever, you know, like, there's a whole other, um, 
there's a couple of different things. <laughs> Somebody ruined the Princess Bride before for me in a specific way, and I won't mention it here because that's my favorite movie of all time. So I'm just not going to mention what they said. <laughs> like if they had just, and I'm like, no, 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 stop talking. <laughs> We're not going to mention that. Um, but yeah, there's a, there's a lot of little things like that, but within other universes, and I think Trek and maybe older Trek. They didn't bother explaining themselves, and I think some of some fans have an issue with the touchy feely conversational nature of current Trek, and I um I am all for it because yeah, I'm I'm all for this yeah. Trek explaining. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Maybe, maybe that's not the best word for it, but <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think that's an appropriate word for it. It's not it's not like gatekeeperish or anything like that. It's actually what you're doing. You're explaining track track explaining. Right. So, I, I mean, I could see how someone could turn it into a gatekeeper-y thing, but that's not what we're doing. Not at all. No, and I think gatekeeper would be the opposite, where so the the fans are, are you know they're still fans too. I don't dislike them for their their stance on it, but they're not happy with you know, some of the other, uh, the the conversations that are happening or just even the leadership description or, you know, like, Hey, I'm explaining myself to you. Yeah. I'm a, I'm a bad guy. Maybe. I don't know, but. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but like like some people aren't happy with like the characters having feelings for right. some reason. <laughs> right. Actually, <laughs> like how dare they be fully formed. Right. right. <laughs> <laughs> how, dare, how dare they be like human. <laughs> you know? Yeah. It's funny we we talk about this. I actually watched the Ready Room this morning, and it was about the entire crew, I mean, the, the the bridge crew that we don't get to see much of, and they were all guests on Will Wheaton's Ready Room. And the the, the young lady that plays Detmer explained um, exactly what we we just said. By the way, she loves the fact that they are able to flesh themselves out. And I'm like, yeah, I want more of you guys. Quite honestly, you know. Yeah. And um, I I know that Lieutenant Nielsen was Ariam, the 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 same young actress played who had played Ariam is, is Lieutenant Nielsen, and I forgot that she actually made an appearance in season two, in episode ten of season two. But that's still <laughs> I still have a problem with the the with the writing of of like yeah they introduced her and then she sort of like disappears right yeah <laughs> and that's why I'm like no no no. Then you just shoved her in her face again and again without like giving us any sort of like explanation or reminder of who she was. Right? It so, just like, went to the laboratory for a while. A long time. <laughs> yeah. It, it's like that old explanation of like, how do Khan and Chekhov remember each other? Oh, Chekhov like was using the restroom and didn't like Khan in and like he owns right. a grudge or whatever. <laughs> right. <laughs> it's like, how old's they? But um, so going back to the episode, this is where like I think this was Trek at its best. Also, like I like this episode a lot, but because of what they find on the planet, I, and I'm skipping over the fight. You know, Giorgio and Philippa, and I'm, I'm going to go back to that right now. Like the discussion that they have, the banter back and forth, how um, they liked each other's other versions. Right? Yeah, <laughs> it can get pretty confusing <laughs> if you don't know what we're talking about. Yeah, like season one is required viewing. Right. <laughs> Deal it's, with it. It's like, yeah, it's like, it's like, uh, it, going back to Princess Bride's Inigo Montoya on the wall, it's like, uh, like it's too much. Let me, let me sum up. <laughs> Just put it this way. So you yeah. can always go back to that movie for something. It's always there. <laughs> right. And I, I thought it was interesting how, like, when, 
uh, Georgia said, fight me, um, you know, when she had the axe in that one scene. Um, Burnham said, this is the coward's way out. And that, I thought that was a real power move on her part. Like, like just having the moral high ground in that moment. But I did feel it was unrealistic that Burnham didn't flinch when Georgia, like, seemed like she was going to use the axe on her. Like, like, even if she believed that, like, she wouldn't kill her, I, I feel like if I were in that situation, or if anyone were in that situation, they would at least almost blink, you yeah. know? Yeah, there was um maybe a little too, it, it just seemed, that, I agree with you, but that, that version, or that particular time um, of it, it seemed kind of unrealistic, and I... This was the only time that I would agree with some of the folks that say that Burnham's whispering her lines too much. On this particular part, I felt like if she had just given it more emphasis, I would have, I would have liked her to be a bit more forceful. But she was, she has a wonderful way of being um, subtly strong, and I think it's actually what Philippa calls her out on and says, "You want to bend what she said that she, you know, Prime Burnham has in common with Mirror Burnham is that they both want to bend people to their will." And I think the way. Uh, Prime Burnham does it. She has this quiet voice, you know, like a steady, quiet voice way of doing it. But I think in this particular scene, it was, I was actually having a hard time hearing her. So I was like, let me rewind that again. So, see, uh, see I, I, I never notice it, but I wonder if that's because I always have the closed captions on and I'm just too. reading it. I do but, too. Um, but I don't know if this was um, because of the time that I watched it. Like, I don't know if they adjust it later on, but I noticed that some of the closed captions would, like, show up for a split second and then be gone. Um, oh. It was kind of weird, but yeah, I, I anyway. Yeah, I check that. I, I didn't, I mean, I read them as, as, as I need them, for sure, because I, I like you, I, I always have the closed caption on. Also, because as I'm writing notes, I want to spell the names right, because it's the only time right. I spelled out properly, so... I, um, but other than that, I liked the scene. I love the exchange between the two. And, um, do you get the feeling that Burnham, even though she knows this is mirror Giorgio, that she still sees her as some sort of surrogate mother figure? You know, I feel like when she looks at this Giorgio, she'll always be reminded of the Giorgio that she knew. Yeah. But... Um, and I mean, I guess it's easy for me to say this since I haven't been in this specific situation, but I feel like by now Burnham should be able to car- compartmentalize the two versions. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. What do you think? I I think so, too. But this is also Burnham isn't dealing with her issues yet. So I think you're right. But I think it's also because she um she's maybe taken taken one step in her psychological healing journey and she needs mm. to keep going right but she has stopped here and it's not just that she has this one step that she needs to take there's like a whole range of them that she needs to like array you know go through and she's um she isn't bothering to do that she doesn't think she needs the help because she wants to solve everybody else's problems uh first to help fill the void of dealing with her own emotional issues and until she does that until she actually acknowledges her own mommy issues she's never gonna like find peace so she's gonna keep making maybe not some of the same um renegade mistakes that you really shouldn't be doing in a hierarchical command chain thing but she's gonna keep like 
um, trying to solve problems for other people without solving her own. So for sure, like, I think she still sees her as a surrogate mother, but it's because she's trying to fill the mommy void. You know, abandonment never leaves you. Get it? See what I did there? (laughs) (laughs) Wait, wait, explain it to me. A surrogate in the stars might as well be a stargate. Oh, look at that. <laughs> that. That was a stretch right there. <laughs> yeah. Like, you know, stretch pants, stretch. <laughs> yeah. Holiday um, stretch pants, stretch. <laughs> but, but yeah, Giorgio, like, we always talk about how Giorgio has great lines, and th- but this episode is no exception. Oh, um, absolutely. Like, like she says, lead me to my death, Angel Michael. And of course, that's a biblical illusion. And I just love her delivery of lines like that. So I'm not um, of that faith. So can you explain that? I know Death Angel is a metal band. <laughs> so that's uh, my reference. <laughs> well, there's Michael the Archangel. Uh-huh. So like during season two of Discovery, I felt very much like the Red Angel and Michael thing was like a reference to that that um, i did get yeah i did go to baptist private school for a while so i did i do know some stuff i just don't remember it because it's not right right so i felt like that line was kind of a callback to that sort of thing Hmm. okay Um, yeah thank you for that because i was just like i i think i get the reference but i'm not 100 sure because it's like i said not my background so right Um. right (laughs) also like some of this was like so interesting to me like the georgia stuff that i completely forgot that book was like with the crew (laughs) there's they he has the briefest of appearances and i think we should just talk about it in those terms he shows up talks to saru and says yeah i want to be a part of the crew and and saru says read the field manual (laughs) that's basically (laughs) it what else are you going to do? So that that was basically all he had to do. <laughs> so. Yeah, a book has to read a book. Yes. <laughs> basically. Yeah. That, that actually, it's funny you mentioned that. I forgot. I had that noted, actually. <laughs> <laughs> I had that. Yeah, it's book section. Um, but yeah, I, I do like that they have little moments like that to remind us of like what's going on with the other characters, even when this main thread is going on. Yeah, yeah. It's it's what we ask for all the time, right? In other shows and series. It's like, because suddenly somebody shows up and you're like, wait, where have yeah. you been all this time? <laughs> right? so, at least the writers are taking notice of that kind of stuff. And um, I still want more of the bridge crew and I'm hoping that we do get more of them. We are getting there with them, but I really want my ensemble cast again. I'm really looking forward to being able to call this an ensemble. Uh, right now it still is not. Right. Yeah. I mean, I do see it as an ensemble, but I guess it's arguable, like, the amount of focus they put on each of the characters. Um, I I guess I'm just, like, super used to the characters now, Mm -hmm. but by that same token, I feel like I can't say a whole lot about, like, Detmer, for example. Right, right. Um, I feel the same way about all of... Oh, by the way, I did love the mirror version of all of these folks, and so let's get there. So we, yeah. we get to Dennis 5, we get to the planet surface, we still don't really know, and I, and you know me, I'm a stickler for all those little details, I will pause the screen, I will write down everything I see, um, I will rewind it a million times to get every single, you know, snowflake, <laughs> you know, like, where, how everything fell, um, and then we, we get to a certain point and we run across the talented Paul Guilfoyle as a guy in a trench coat and, um, sitting on a chair reading uh reading the paper 
the Star Dispatch, and that's a throwback, man. That is a TOS throwback, and I was I, I saw that, I caught that, I loved it, and I even got that. I thought it was also in Voyager, but maybe it's not. So, um, if you don't know the episode, it's the City on the Edge of Forever. It's the paper that um, is featured in that episode. I don't want to give that's one of my favorite TOS episodes. I don't want to give it away. Yeah, and what like that episode is a classic. There's even like a comic book adaptation of an earlier version that Harwin Ellison wrote, I think. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, but, um, yeah, when um, Carl looked at, like, showed them the newspaper and said, you'll be dead tomorrow, like, I, like, at that moment, I thought of City on the Edge of Forever, but it didn't occur to me that, oh, the newspaper was also in City on the Edge of Forever. I, um, like I said, it's a stupid little detail, but I'm like, I think that's, you know, I had to go back and I was like, I had to double check myself on that. But here's yeah. another reference to soup. There was this, there's nothing <laughs> done by accident on any of those comms or whatever, right? Even like the ones that were like written um, as a joke in TNG that are now funny because thanks to like great resolution, you can read them. <laughs> but they, um, there's a reference to the back when he folds the paper and it says good soup with an exclamation point on there. And that's not just hinting at something that happened in the mess hall, that's also foreshadowing. So we'll leave it at that. Um, but there's also a door. And to me, yeah. that metaphor, it's so classic Star Trek. Like, random dude from the 30s with a door. Yeah, and I have a couple things to say oh, about yeah, that. So, uh, first, um, well, this is like my favorite quote in the entire episode is when Carl is like, what do you call a cute portal? Adorable. <laughs> A clown held a door open for me. It was a nice gesture. <laughs> and I was like, yes, I'm so on board with this Carl character. I Carl. <laughs> like, I don't know if he's a Q or something else, but I'm, I'm like, yeah, he's great. <laughs> I love those jokes. I actually wrote them down too. Because, <laughs> yeah, honey tendencies here, so... <laughs> yeah, but also the door just in the middle of everything, like, reminded me of... Uh, two things uh first is like the monolith memes that have been popping up recently and the other is the twilight zone door and it's like oh both of these things are like on cbs hall access like could could we get a crossover between the two could jordan peele like walk over and like oh, narrate what's going that, on i would think so that <laughs> monolith actually is something just out in the middle of a random um park by the way like a national uh, national park and i don't think the park rangers know how it got out there um or they're being mum about how it got out there one of the two i just know that it's it's um something that uh, it's just fun to see all the fun memes around yeah it. it would be funny if it was always there and nobody noticed until recently <laughs> that would be hilarious yeah i i just i don't know how that could be but um you know the person, the first person to post a picture, they actually investigated that person. I think pretty thoroughly because like you had something to do with it, and I'm like, no, man, it was just out there. <laughs> so, um, but the the door, the Twilight Zone, that actually was one of the first things I thought of when I saw the door itself because the door reminded me of a door from that era of television, and also because we were already put in that mindset with the way Carl was dressed, the fact that he was holding a newspaper that didn't get wet by the snow, by the way. Um, we don't know what he was, whether he's a Q or, or something else, but he was definitely um, somebody powerful or projected by somebody very powerful because 
um, the door leads to the mirror universe for Philippa. So she goes through uh, much to the protest of, of of Burnham, and I liked how what she said to Burnham. Uh, you know, like you know, would you just shut the hell up and let me do this? You know, like you know, where's yeah, your courage? So, you know. So at that moment when she told Burnham to shut up, I noticed that like. Sonequa Martin-Green looks like she has a sly smile on her face. And so I was wondering, is she trying not to laugh at the line or like, what's going on there? I'm, so, I'm not going to go watch that again. I didn't catch the smile. I just caught the, like, um, I thought it was more of like a, like, you can't be telling me to shut up. <laughs> like, like really, Mom? Like, it's yeah, like, um, I, yeah. I don't know if it was like a subtle smile or if I'm just projecting, but that's what it looked like to me. <laughs> I, I just like the fact that, um, she she does it, and in, there's no hesitation because Philippa would not hesitate, right? And right. I love the fact that there was no hesitation. She's like, no, 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 I'm going through. Bye, out, I'm out, <laughs> right? And we don't see Prime for the rest of the episode. Yeah, it's bizarre, but also like like it's a a bold choice for this episode, and I'm glad that they went there. Yeah, I'm glad they went there too. And um, what Philippa walks into is her own body in an Emperor Philippa outfit, and she is has just arrived onto the um into the landing bay of the USS Discovery, and she's greeted by Captain Killy, not Tilly, yeah. Tilly. <laughs> and Owo um, with the honor guard, and uh, it's a you know she's clearly she's now out of place, and she has a little monitor that you know kind of. Uh, that's been given to her by Dr. Colbert to make sure like, you know, it's monitoring her health. But, um, and Carl even tells her, yeah, that, that thing's going to stay green. And I don't know what he meant by that. I kind of thought that it was important that he said that, but I can't figure out. It's like, that means it's just broken and it's just going to stay green or, or yeah, keep watching that. Cause it's going to tell you when things are bad. You know what I mean? Like, I, yeah, I'm not really sure what was meant by that, but, um, What's the thing that Georgia wears on her head? Is it a crown or it is, is it something crown. else? It is okay, um, I need that crown. Like the moment I saw it, I was like, yes, I I need that. I could make that crown for you, buddy. You know that. Right? <laughs> I, I actually, that crown is easy. Like to actually <laughs> with like the metal and the glass though, like I want it to be authentic. <laughs> the funny thing is like right now with Christmas decorations, I can make that. <laughs> oh, that's true. <laughs> But, but I, yeah, like, the fashion sense of, like, the Terrans is just so good, you know? Yeah. It's very DC, don't you think? Um, Like, it just reminds me of a DC animated series. <laughs> like, whatever. I don't know why I thought... I, I, I guess kind of like Booster Gold, maybe? But yeah. other than that, I don't know. Not it's like, a, it's like a dark booster slash... It just... There's some elements and just the, the lines of it are, like, big, bold, um, chunky big pieces but with the swoops of the art deco like it just there's something about it that just reminds me of some of the some of the animated series within dc like the like in the late 90s and stuff it's a it's a compliment to both i mean i just like the look of it it's just i mean like giorgio's um outfit with the crown included kind of reminded me of time lord outfits like you know the the really regal snobby ones um or even like the the cyber man um 
like toward the end of series 12 um, earlier this year. Like those who have right. seen. I was like, going to say, yeah, like which, series 12 which era of Cyber um, I mean, I, I feel like I'm able to say it now. Um, actually, no. Uh, would it be spoilery for me to mention what they are? No, not at um, all. Not at all. Why would it? I be? think it would be because it's in their name. So I'll just say it's how they look in series 12. Ah, um, at okay. a certain point on a certain planet. Um, but anyway, moving on. <laughs> so it's like, it's okay, you can say it. <laughs> but I get it. I'm, you're being nice. <laughs> right. You may not last in the Terran Empire, I'm just saying. <laughs> <laughs> so, well, um, I like the fact that they went so far as to bring back, like, Rekhash Sharma, who was part of season one and also season one Mirror, and they they were consistent. Like, he didn't have to do that, and I just like seeing another brown person on screen number one number two like she's a great actress so i just i was like oh my god it's her again you know she's on the screen again and uh, i think i don't know a single actor or actress who would not jump at the chance to be the evil version of themselves right (laughs) and listening to the ready room today yeah they all loved it and the fact that um just even putting the outfit on itself just it was like a skin of evil for them. Like it was just like, oh my god, we're like we're in this now. We're like this is, and they got to flesh out the the actual um, environment a bit more, right? We saw the games that they were playing, the torture games that Stamets yeah. and friends were playing. Talk about just you know insane. Everything is driven by death. But what I don't remember from Mirror Universe episodes in the past was that they were looking forward to dying. I always got the impression that yeah, you know. You, you were promoted by death, like you, you had to kill the person in front of you, but you didn't want to die. You wanted to hoard power. And so some of those uh, statements that were made in this episode, how like they looked forward to dying as a birth, you know, as the next birth were foreign to me. But um, do, do you know that? Yeah. Many? yeah. Well, like, I don't remember it being a mirror universe thing, but you and I were both uh, talking about how it felt kind of Klingon oh, in totally a sense. Klingon. Like, wanting to die in combat and like that's how Georgia wanted to die um mm-hmm. but like Burnham denied it yeah uh, from her yeah exactly exactly that's what I was thinking too it was like a Klingon thing more than anything else but um maybe they adapted it from the Klingons I I don't know enough yet uh to say whether that was accurate or not with um with them in the in the mirror universe you see Giorgio recognizing finally Saru because I know that she did not recognize Saru the first time through. It was Prime Burnham who recognizes Saru as being one of the Kelpians that's a slave. And now you see Empress Giorgio recognizing Saru. Um, yeah. Which I thought was poignant in like how she... It's so subtle. It's all with her eyes. And, and something in the Terran Empire, It you can't be as open about your feelings. It has to be subtle. And um, she does it just a little bit with her eye, eye, you know, glances and stuff like that. Like, oh, I, I, I recognize that, but I can't, I can't acknowledge it too much because then everybody's gonna rec- you know, see the weakness in me if I show any sort of compassion. And um, then we come to our third soup reference <laughs> because <laughs> the Kelpians uh, drop something, and um, Rekha's character—I don't remember the character's name, so I'm just gonna call her by the actress's name. Uh, the the Kelpian drops something on her foot and she says, you know, you're ripe for soup. <laughs> and I'm like, that's another soup reference. Is that the yeah. good soup? And 
they were referencing before. So. Yeah, and it's moments like these that remind me that Michael knows what Kelpians taste like. So anytime she is talking with Saru, maybe she's like thinking that she knows what his kind tastes like. <laughs> and it's it's like his like it's not just any part, right? They like they eat the whole thing, but there was like some the brain or the ganglia or something was like the tasty part or something like that. Yeah, something like that. <laughs> That's even grosser than gross. <laughs> So, um, I think we're setting this up, uh, I don't know my Roman mythology or Greek mythology much, but, or the, the story of like a slave. It just reminds me of something from mythological times where there's a, a person who befriends, like an emperor, empress befriends a slave and the slave becomes a key part to, um, making, turning the evil person good. And there's just something about it because she takes yeah. over, um. Yeah, for, the first thing I thought of was, um. This, like a scene from the Prince of Egypt, which is, of course, yeah. based on the book of Exodus, when Moses uh, wants someone to stop Old whipping a slave. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, there's it, something like that about this this particular um, setup to me. Like, they're, um, and this, the day that she returns is very specific, which is why we really need to know who and what the heck Carl is, because he returns her on the day that, um, Burnham is supposed to overthrow her um, because Burnham has thrown in with Borka to betray uh, Empress Georgia. So she knows exactly what day it is. And everybody seems to is under the impression that she um, knows this because she is the Empress who knows all. But really, it's because she's already lived it once before. And right. she actually killed Burnham on this day in the original version of this timeline. And now we get to that yeah. scene you know, the revisit, if you will, the foreshadow, uh, what the foreshadow was leading up to. Um, she... Yeah, and this was after the opera, right? I, I Or was it before? It. I think it was before. You know, it was after. Okay. Yeah, I skipped the opera. Apologies, because the opera was also <laughs> kind of interesting, too. It was... Um, yeah, Stamets singing and rhyming, and it's... It, it just reminded me of that Avatar The Last Airbender episode where they watch a play about themselves, so I thought that was kind you of funny. I thought of, I thought of, um, I, I actually thought of uh, Thor Ragnarok. <laughs> oh, yeah, with, like, Matt Damon. <laughs> yeah, that's where my head went. I was like, oh, like, it's just kind of like Thor Ragnarok, except with aerials. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it's like the when pop culture just lives in your brain all the time, it's like all we ever do is talk in pop culture terms. Yeah. Kind of like a certain race that only speaks in metaphors. <laughs> so, uh, anyway, with uh, what so what do you think of the Kelpian of the the not Kelpian, sorry, uh the opera itself is Kalesian Kelsian opera is, it was a description descriptor given to an I apologize for slaughtering the name. <laughs> Yeah, I thought it was really well acted and well sung. It makes me wonder like how many takes of it there were. And I'm sure there's like multiple takes of lots of different scenes, but this is like one of those scenes that really made me wonder because it's like there had to have been like a lot of practice that went into it given that it's not just like talking normally, you know? Right. And also um it's not just that there were multiple um, takes for outtake reasons, but because you're shooting it from different angles and, and because you've got aerial dancers 
the three D ver- uh, vision of the performance in order to give that scope of it, you know that they shot it a million times. And I know kudos. I, I know the other side of my background is dance, and so like I know what that's like to have to do something over and over and over again. Someone <laughs> was like, "Oh yeah," it's like I, I my uh, my body ached for them. Like I was like, "Oh, that's, that, that, I wonder how many takes that took." You know, like that's just what my brain went to. <laughs> like, oh. Uh, but it, it was it was really well done. Um, even though it was kind of the subject matter was ghoulish and garish, I thought it was still you know um, well uh, well well choreographed, etc. With the um, but then I think it's at the end of that is when they uh, the confrontation in the hallway happens. And apologies, I just we saw this like like almost twelve plus hours ago now, so it's a little unfresh now. Um, with um, with the scene of basically Georgia confronting Burnham about uh, the uh, um, the the coup, um, but and she, she grabs the knife, swings it. Yeah. But Burnham leans into it because she starts to bleed. Yeah, like there's like that little cut. Mm-hmm. But she doesn't give Burnham the satisfaction of death, which in itself is a torture, right? Right, and that's what I, that's where I'm trying to figure out. Like it, it still does not feel as I don't. It just maybe it's a little bit of a new take on Terran uh, society that I've just got to get used to. But I just don't remember it being like death being welcomed because they seem to really struggle to not die. On the floor. Yeah, I mean, I, even when like the Terran storyline was brought into season one, I felt like the whole thing about like them not liking a lot of light like that felt to me like something they were adding to the lore of the mirror universe like i didn't remember the whole light thing being a thing before with them yeah um i liked it it was just one of those things i just didn't catch on i'm i'm going back to tos when we first saw the mirror you know universe i don't remember that being and when spock had a beard or whatever (laughs) when beards were evil Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that was the bottom line of that. That's what I got out of that episode as a kid. Like, beards are bad. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you have a beard? Oh, no, I have a beard. <laughs> I know, right? I want my real Steven back. I don't want this beard. <laughs> anyway. Um, so then the, the episode really ends. Oh, you know, we did skip over some other Terran tidbits, if you will, uh, with with other uh, factions um, infighting within the crew, and I, I skipped over that on purpose because we still have something to talk about. We still haven't even talked about uh, the burn itself. Um, the other plot line, which was done and dealt with so quickly, you forget. <laughs> yeah, like it was like they put a pause on that before Giorgio entered the door. Yeah. But yeah. Yeah. And um, basically, we uh, get a, a resolution to the signal. It's deciphered. Um, Adira and Stamets, um, basically, they solve it. And you, it's off screen. And because the surprise of it is off screen, first off. But then they um, they meet as a, a, an internal crew meeting. And they talk about what happened. And you find out that it is... Um, a message from a Dr. Isa of the KSF uh, KF, and she's Kelpian, and she sent out a distress call, and uh, it's been like a couple of months, I think it was, and the USS Hiraga, um, Hiraga Genai 
is the ship that was supposed to be responding to them. And, you know, like every ship name thus far, the ship names are significant. So Hiraga Ganai is um, a, a polymath thinker from the Edo period within Japan, but he was also, uh, this is just another beautiful way of like, bringing diversity of thought and character. He was also right. uh, openly gay. Um, and in a lot of Asian societies and cultures, being gay wasn't necessarily considered, you know, the way the Western side of the planet thought of it. So um, he wrote openly about being gay and had a lot of um, uh, stories and storylines and fiction about um, his life um, and his, uh, his, you know, he, he also did so many other things. It's like, well, I'm trying to like, do I talk about the fact that he was also a sculptor, a pharmacist and a physician also like he was like a million things. <laughs> so I like the fact that they named a ship after this guy. So it was kind of neat, but it's also, um, you know, uh, there's still more to talk about that story. So I'm just kind of curious to yeah. see where we go with that because uh, Saru does something slightly, um, I don't know. What do you think about him not wanting to go to Admiral Vance with this yet? I just feel like he's screwing up again. <laughs> <Sorry>. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, first off, I have in my notes that like the message is over 100 years old and it's been broadcasting on a loop. Um, but yeah, it's weird that Saru is keeping this, like, after, like, that openness was happening, and it's like, we're back here again? Like, what? I, I, at first I thought it was, I'm hoping this is the only reason, it's because it's a Kelpian thing, and he's maybe ashamed of it being a Kelpian thing that might be the cause of the burn. But if that's it, then I'd be really disappointed also. (laughs) Like, Come on, that can't be the reason. Um, but he's staring intently at this face, and the face cannot be somebody he knows. It can't be anybody he's related to. Um, the the other thing that I believe Tilly says about the burn, um, sorry, not the burn, but the the folks that were in the well, it's only the doctor, Doctor Isis' uh, appearance, is that she's clearly being impacted by the radiation. And that the mission logs about why the the KSF uh, KS was out there was because the um, Verubin Nebula was a dilithium incubation uh, site. Like there was some uh, potential dilithium in, in that uh, in that nebula for them to um, mine and explore. So we'll see more to come on that. The ready rooms. Um, uh, preview snippet was more about the Terran Empire and um, really didn't give us much to go on, so it's just more, you know, what you expect from Terrans. Yeah, I'm thinking that, like, I mean, I don't know if, like, the next time thing showed what was going on with the rest of the crew, but I was thinking maybe the next episode, Terra Firma Part 2, will be almost, if not all, like, still, like, the Terran side of that door and we might not circle back to like what's going on with Saru and the others until like the episode after that. I think so too. And I feel like this will tie the visions that, um, that uh, Empress Jojo is having. Um, I still think that she has something to do with the burn. And I wonder if it's because she tries to get back to the prime universe. I, that's just my theory now. Like it just seems like it's a little written on the wall that she is attempting to come back to the prime universe and sets off the chain of events that causes the burn. That's just me. Just saying. <laughs> as far as like when it hit, it's just arbitrary because 
you know, quantum mechanics and all that stuff. Right. <laughs> Why not? <laughs> I mean, um, what if what if Carl himself is responsible for the burn? You know, <laughs> that could be it. It could be Q. <laughs> Just saying. Also, what what if Carl is somehow related to Carl's Jr. Because you know the logo is a star, and this is Star Trek. Oh so, my god! You know <laughs> that could be it. That could be it. We could be. Uh, he might not be far off there. You know, the next thing he's going to be doing is like chomping on a burger on the shuttlecraft. You know, Just, like very provocatively. Uh, yeah, I don't want to see Yeah, with <laughs> some some fried zucchini. Right. <laughs> oh my gosh, yeah, that that's see if that doesn't happen now I'm gonna be disappointed. Alright, <laughs> <laughs> well, hey Steven, thank you so much for uh sharing your time with me again. And uh again, uh, this is Star Trek Culture on Culture Slate. You can catch this episode and our other episodes on our YouTube channel, but we are also more prominently on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. You can also email us very specifically at our email address, Star Trek Culture Podcast at gmail.com. And if you want to check out our future projects, please do check out our Patreon account. And well, I will also just say once again, happy Hanukkah, and I look forward to seeing you guys um, next week. All right, and I'm going to do sarcastic Vulcan <laughs> since we're in Terran world. Here we go. All right. <laughs> happy, happy, <laughs> happy Hanukkah to those who celebrate. Yeah, and this is actually actually this is the right way to. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. Bye, guys.